One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, it's episode 68 of the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby, and today, will a United States of Europe work? Or is it a pipe dream that we're better off out of? Well, Steve and I have uh, already had a debate on Brexit. I think we're better off in, and, uh, you know, at least we can then call the shots. But Steve thinks uh, it's built on so many falsehoods, it's bound to collapse, so we're best being the first one off the sinking ship. But uh, with Britain out of the picture, it seems Jean-Claude Juncker is looking for a more unified Europe, perhaps with an EU army, for goodness sake, and and more countries in the Eurozone uh, using the Euro as their currency, moving further into the United States of Europe. The vision that Winston Churchill had directly after the Second World War. Well, will that work? This is possibly a rhetorical question, but uh, today let's look at how Europe differs from the United States of America and Australia, uh, where we have federated states whose economies are managed or at least influenced by a single central bank. Uh, One of our listeners, Rob Dines, has uh, asked us about this, so we thought we'd follow it up. So, Steve, in theory, I mean, is there any difference between the Fed in the United States governing monetary policy across the US and the ECB managing the policy across different countries of Europe? Well, there, there is a huge difference, and that's because the federal government in the America pays all the social security and collects most of the taxes and then distributes that the, you know, the, the taxes are, are, um, taken from a range of levels. But the spending, they, they, they provide the money that is spent by the states to a large degree, uh, whereas in the European Union, it's still the states themselves, so-called countries, little places like, you know, France, uh, mm-hmm. who have to raise their own tax revenue but uh, can't actually finance their own government spending if it exceeds the 3% rule on the Maastricht Treaty. So uh, it's very different. But at the same time, one of the, what, we, what we see happening in, in states, uh, in countries like Australia and America, is comparable to what we see happening to countries in Europe, and that is frequently they will, quite literally, run out of money. Yeah, because they're not getting enough uh, uh, divvied out from the from the federal pot. But but also, mm. what you say about the, the tax in the United States, is true, there is a federal income tax, but there are state taxes as well. So, for example, in California, they add another 13% onto your federal tax, and it's often argued, isn't it? Well, this is good for competition. You know, if you run out of money, uh, just introduce your own local taxes, and if people don't like it, then they'll, uh, they'll move. Yeah, well, it's just, it's just total chaos, unfortunately, because... Um, the, the states can be played off against other in the opposite direction, and we'll you know we'll move to the to the uh, to the state that has the lowest tax, and you have this race to the bottom factor as well. I and mean, it, it really is a case that the Americans desperately don't don't want to admit they lived in a mixed economy. Uh, so you have the federal government forever talking about abolishing taxes, and the state governments, which necessarily have to put those firemen on the beat, and certainly America put those uh, put those police out there so that they can shoot random drivers going past. Pardon me. <laughs> I better kneel while I say that, hadn't I? Um, and they therefore put surreptitious taxes in various places. So what starts off looking like a very low tax country ends up being in some, some ways comparable to the tax levels you'll see in, in parts of Europe, which actually have a social democratic commitment, uh, but in a total mess as to how those taxes are actually administered. So for a central bank to work, for the policies of a central bank to work, then all the conditions have to be the same across the region that that central bank is governing in terms of 
tax and other economic policy. Is that what we're saying? Largely. I mean, it goes beyond that because also you have uh, differential rates of inflation between states is a major issue in Europe. And the more I look at it, the more I think that the reason that the uh, Germany is running the huge trade surplus as it is and is therefore doing very nicely out of the euro and has, as well as an ideological commitment, has a financial commitment remaining in it. Uh, what they've really done is use their low inflation rate as a weapon. Yeah. So because they can get, uh, you know, batten, you know, they really quite have literally, you know, bashed verbally rather than physically, I believe, uh, trade unions in Germany to make sure they put in wage right demands which are below the rate of labour productivity as much as they can manage it. Uh, that therefore means you have a low rate of inflation and that low rate of inflation with the fixed exchange rate uh, locked into the countries and the rest of Europe means a huge trade surplus over time as your uh, goods get progressively cheaper and cheaper uh, compared to your competitors. So that, uh, that, that type of, of dynamic uh, is another factor which you don't necessarily have in California versus Alabama uh, because, again, the, because you have transnational companies setting the prices and, and operating effectively trans-state back in America itself, uh, their price inflation obviously will be affected by the level of income that they can they can uh, mop up in different states, but it won't have the same um, policy differences that apply in Europe. So in that case, is Jean-Claude's uh, vision, which is actually really Winston Churchill's vision, that we should have a United States of Europe and go one stage further where, you know, everyone who's in it is in, is in the Eurozone, uh, you know, perhaps they all pay the same amount of tax, it all gets uh, goes into a centralised government. I mean, is that... Is that necessarily a bad thing? Certainly, we're in a, the half-pregnant cow situation at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely half-pregnant. Um, it would have been feasible in 1945. This is one of those things where, the, you know, the classic Irish joke, which which uh, is a sign of the intelligence of the Irish rather than stupidity, it's often put across. You are, you, you are going to tell me, how do I get here? Well, it depends where you're starting from. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you, I wouldn't start from here. If you'd started from 1945 with the incredible desire to come together and stop the, the slaughter of each, each other and the hatreds and so on that were so, so laid so bare by the Nazis. Uh, in that situation, yes, you could have had the United States of Europe being formed. But f after 50 or 60 years, I think the main force that is leading to Europeans re-electing Nazi parties uh, is the idea of this, this, this obsession that Juncker and friends have of creating a United States of Europe without having created some of the essential preconditions for it, including, of course, a national treasury. So this idea of competition between the states, I've heard that uh, used many, many times that, you know, uh, in the United States, you can set your own set your own tax on top of the federal tax uh, if you feel like you need to, um, because it's, a, you know, it's, it's going to engender competition. You're not going to raise it too much because uh, that's going to stop people moving to your state or people will start moving out. I've heard people arguing, you know, maybe the same thing should be introduced in, in Australia. I, I think like you, it's it's a crazy idea, but you do hear that argument. But uh, so, I mean, could you uh, could you sort of engender that sort of thing? I mean, to what extent, for example, is a centralised interest rate part of the problem? What if Europe had a, a single currency, but each country had its own central bank? Could you do that? So they set interest rates and set all the other uh, economic considerations just for that country. You know, you're going to, you're going to wear the, it will, it will be rewarded the bright idea in the morning, uh, one for that. I hadn't actually thought of that as an alternative. <laughs> but you're right. If you actually could have central banks um, in different – in the, well, this thing, that's actually going back to what happened beforehand. But, of course, they also had 
but we, 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 we well, currency. Frankly, they had their own trade. What you're saying is let's abolish the euro. <laughs> well, maybe. So my <laughs> uh, pride idea is let's do what we did before. But no, but I mean, you could have the advantage of having a single currency still. And we sort of did, didn't we? Because businesses traded using the ECU, if you remember. The, yeah, uh, well, the ECU, ECU was, a, it was a form of national currency. But the difficulty about, again, if you tried to have different interest rates being imposed on different countries with the same currency... I mean, it's it's feasible to imagine that, like the interest rate would be higher uh, in, say, Greek um, Greek loans than it was in German loans. Uh, but then, of course, what you'd have is people trying to borrow across those national boundaries, which you partly abolish by having a, a supranational organisation like the EU. So I think it's politically, it's it's structurally impossible uh, to have that, that. Once you have a nation, you have an interest rate. That seems to be the rule. Um, I you certainly can have different interest rates charged to different constituencies inside that nation state. But the idea that there could be different base rates for different regions, um, you know, I mean, they, they end up having to some extent because there will be regional variations in the markup that uh, c- commercial banks will put over uh, the base rate. But to imagine different base rates in the same political union, yeah, that's that's a, that's a pretty good challenge, mate. <laughs> oh, well, I thought I'd throw it out there. I mean, we mm-hmm. we the, the issue about you know inflation rates being different in different countries within Europe, of course, applies, uh, I guess, within individual countries as well. We don't we don't measure it, and the, you know, and there's all sorts of other factors as well. So let's take the United Kingdom, or let's even just look at England, so we don't have to argue about separate countries. Uh, you know, there's a, a whole series of uh, economic conditions which are very different in London compared to the north of England. So wages are lower in the north. House prices are, uh, mm. are higher in London. Uh, but you're still trying to control all of that with one central bank policy. And that policy um, is applying conditions across the whole country, even though the response to those is, is obviously going to be very different. They're, they're trying to do the balancing act in the same way that I'd imagine the um, – Although it's not immediately evident because they don't talk a great deal about Greece, but you'd imagine that the ECB would be saying, "Well, yes, we're we're trying to do the same thing and balance things out for all the countries of Europe in the same way that the Bank of England tries to for all the counties of England." Yeah, but the, well, the way that the European Union claims it attempted to do that was by having each national state issue its own bonds, and then of course it can't actually provide government services until those bonds are sold because it doesn't have the capacity you know greece can't produce euros um so in that situation the spread between german rates and um uh, greece rates greek rates which was supposed to be set by the market was supposed to do that now instead what actually happened was as soon as there was a european union and uh, a central bank and the other central banks were abolished all those rates differentials collapsed and that is, in fact, the explanation that Schäuble uses for why the crisis occurred. He said the fact that uh, we priced German uh, bonds at the same rate as Greece was underrating the risk of Greece, and therefore the market had to do a correction. And uh, that's what's happened now. And to get the market, the rates back to being convergent again, we all have to exercise German standard discipline, and, uh, and hence the, the austerity policies imposed upon Greece to show the market that they uh, are willing to the, take the tough decisions necessary to, to repay their debt. So, uh, again, this, this sort of stuff is where fiscal policy is more f- flexible because it is possible for fiscal policy to say, right, we're going to build a wall in a particular um, – yeah, let's use a wall as a random idea of an infrastructure <laughs> project um, – build a wall in a particular set of states because we want to boost their economies. We don't build that wall in Boston, though in some ways it might be a good idea. Let's build it around MIT. Um, 
So that that or the economics department, of course, that that flexibility doesn't exist with monetary policy as much. And if it if it does come up, then it's seen as flexibility provided by the finance by the market system, which is better than the government doing it. The usual ideological bias of uh, Austrians, economists, and so on. Right. I, I won't ask you what you've got against. Uh, I think it's another discussion probably as to what you've got against the economics department of Boston MIT. But, uh, <laughs> but look, let's um, – what about the – before we had the euro, even before we had the ECU, I think we used to – we had a uh, an agreement within Europe that we would fix exchange rates between uh, between various countries. So uh, Britain opted out of that. But is, is, is that another way forward? It's another model, isn't it, to say, well, okay, perhaps the way that we have a, a – an ease of operating across borders within Europe uh, so that we know, for example, how much, um, you know, your dollar or your Deutschmark or whatever it is, whatever currency you're using, your drachma, so you know how many uh, of whatever other currency is going to buy. Let's have a, let's have a fixed exchange rate within within Europe. Is that a, is that a model that could work? Could we go well, back to that? That's again abolishing the euro. And this, this is, again, we keep on coming mm. back to this because what we're looking at is an, is an issue that applies within any nation that has its own uh, treasury and own, own currency, and like Australia and America being examples of that in the UK. Uh, and therefore, they have the possibility of both monetary policy and fiscal policy at the national level. But the states, if you have regions which in there which are supposed to deliver local services, this has been a major issue, as you and I both know very well in the UK. Uh, the councils are the ones who are provided, are given some state money uh, with the idea that that's where they're going to provide the, the garbage services and the libraries and schools and so on. But then under austerity, the central government doesn't provide them with enough money, so they start whacking taxes on because if they don't put the taxes on, they can't raise the money needed to provide the services. And now in the region of London that I live in, Lambeth, which I live in a pretty healthy part of Lambeth, thanks very much, but Lambeth Council in general is talking about having to cut back on garbage collections uh, because they simply can't afford to raise it. And the bedroom tax goes up, so what you get as a result is a regressive nature of taxation at the at the level of government below the level where they can actually create their own money. And this is the real danger, that regressiveness in, in state uh, services is then felt in the most depressed regions of that country, and that leads to right-wing backlashes. Well, wow, isn't that amazing? Yeah. So the Great Plague of London uh, starts in Lambeth in 2018. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe or, my local – no, it won't be my local coffee shop. It's too good. Anyway. Uh, or, or Birmingham, because having the same problem with garbage collection there. But, I mean, you, you, you raise a point there about how, you know, the argument from uh, wherever it is, regions of Britain or whether it's states within the United States or states particularly within Australia. We've had the, the example, for example, a group of Liberal MPs in Western Australia who – who wanted to go alone and uh, secede from the rest of Australia? Good luck to them on that one. But the mm, argument is, it, the argument is always that they're not getting enough money from central government. So West Australians think, you know, we're, we we've got all the oil here. We're pushing all the money in. We're creating the wealth for the country, but we're not getting our our share, which is uh, the you know the GST share in the case of Western Australia, because that's how they divvy up the money. Supposedly. Uh, that 10% tax goes to the states, but it gets shared amongst the states. So there's always going to be someone who feels like they're not getting enough. But that's not central bank. I mean, that's, that is the policy of the government and how they're redistributing taxes, in effect. And that's what they can do. It's one, one thing about this layered nature of government spending is that since all government spending is not the responsibility of the federal government, uh, if they want to do something unpleasant, the easiest way to do that unpleasantness is to pass the consequences on to a lower division, which has no control about the amount of money they've got coming in, but can control the amount of services they deliver, uh, albeit very badly. 
And that's what's, that's what's driving me out of the university sector, frankly, uh, because in that sense, universities are delegates of the, uh, of in the, in the UK, delegates of the uh, federal government in terms of their uh, responsibility to teach, but their revenue comes from kids and the revenues are partly constrained the the nine thousand pound ceiling per kid, but what it means is the solution to that is to cut back on the services they deliver internally, which makes people think, God, it'd be better if we had private universities, wouldn't it? Mm. And and this is the, the the decay of the state is built into this uh, gap between a, a a national level body which can create its own money, which has its own treasury and its own central bank, and the delivery units when don't when the top level doesn't provide the money needed for the bottom level to get the work job done in the first place. So, well, let's look at Australia as an example then. I mean, does economic policy work better when we're working at smaller levels? So taking the WA example, uh, if they had, should Australia have, for example, a a multitude of interest rates? Should there be, uh, what's eight people doing the job of the uh, uh, the RBA and, uh, you know, the idea of the RBA disappears altogether. We just have uh, separate ones for each part. No, no, I guess not because we get back to the problem that if you're doing it with one single currency, it becomes too problematic. Yeah, I mean, it's got, you've got to have separate currencies to make that feasible. And, um, I mean, this, there, there, there is a dilemma between whether you have local or, or national level delivery uh, of, of services. And certainly, in some cases, you do want to have that delivery at the local level. But you want to have the responsibility to provide the funds necessary to time to the national level. And then, of course, you get conflicts between we're not getting enough of the money here, et cetera, et cetera. We're never going to be happy. I mean, this is one thing um, to some extent people just have to say, except uh, you want to be happy, die, go to heaven. We believe we're all happy up there. Uh, down on earth, we're going to always be fighting over these things. But are we making it worse in general or better in general by the way, by the way we set up those contests? And I think at the moment, the way we fund the lower levels of government and then the top levels impose their wrong decision not to sufficiently fund government expenditure on the lower levels, then we have a recipe for breakdown. But there's two issues here, isn't there? There's the one is how the central governments of a, of a, of a nation or a group of nations uh, distributes money, how it, uh, how it redistributes taxation, basically. And then there's also the uh, the, the work of the uh, of the central bank. They're very different things, aren't they? Or, or does it does it, it or do both relate to that same issue? That you know you're going to yeah, are, are both of them looking after the uh, the poor parts of the the country or or the region as well as the the rich parts? Yeah, well, you've got to do both. I mean, and this is uh, unfortunately uh, because we have this ideology that you capitalism delivers what you what you deserve uh, as an underlying uh, mindset as to how we think about people who are in, in welfare and have you know end up on the street selling selling big issue. Um, that that ideology, which is a false ideology, then uh, leads to these sorts of situations that exacerbate social breakdown when governments are supposed to be expressions of, of, of collective will. So uh, it, I'm, I'm getting rather sick of looking at the mess, frankly. It's- yeah. Well, I mean, if we look at, if we look at, the, if we look at Europe, uh, speaking of a mess, then we've uh, – well, like, uh, Germany obviously wouldn't say it is a mess because Germany is doing well, and we've spoken about this before, because the, if, the, if they were separate currencies, then the Deutschmark would be worth a lot more. It's being weighed down. The euro is being weighed down by all the other nations in, in Europe that aren't doing so well. So that's great for Germany. It's but even strength- the Germans aren't happy about that. But it strengthens, it strengthens their economy. It means yeah, that- but it also means that people have got savings, and a lot of Germans do actually put their money in bank accounts rather than and speculating on stock markets. And they certainly won't speculate on real estate because of the sensible rules they have there to restrain 
real estate speculation. So the older Germans are complaining of getting lousy return on their money, and it's all because of the euro, and they want to leave the euro. Right, but they'll be, uh, go- but they'll be gone soon. I mean, people this day and age, they, they're not saving money, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into that conversation about saving just yet on, on that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they're basically they're buying, they're buying soy lattes and, and avocado toast, so far as I'm, I seem to be told by the media. Um yeah, it's but but, it, but, it, but, but okay. So aside from yeah. that, so that, I mean, it, you, you you raise a good point. But I mean, it, it is a diminishing part of the population, isn't it? Who are saving? Well, we no, will they'll also be re- replaced. They'll uh, be replaced by uh, the, the, uh, one 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 of the few Eternals that you and I seem to have escaped. Is that you get older, your your mindset changes for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you're not still wearing shorts. We're just late to the party. That's all. Indeed. But Indeed. Um, but I mean, but generally, I mean, Europe within Europe, Germany is doing well because of the mm. uh, the the, the relative weakness of the euro compared to and and, you know that is certainly helping Germany to to export stuff Uh, whereas uh, you know it's it's not seen as a a weak euro for Greece their their currency the drachma was far too strong so can central banks do anything about that if if they cared I'm not sure they do but if they did care can they do anything about it or if is that part of the part of the problem Uh, if you've got a if you've got a centralized uh, uh, bank like the uh, ECB that's covering so many different countries, it's just too big an area for them to control. And they get back to the question, is smaller better when it comes to central banks? Well, they could get away with it if they actually were willing to do things like the modern debt jubilee that I've spoken about uh, and, and use that to target you know, target reduction in, in government debt. But that, again, requires the agreement of a central treasury, which doesn't exist. So um, you, you have, again... It's partly, partly also yes. Smaller is better at that level because that thing basically gives you more flexibility. Uh, if you had the capacity for exchange rates and interest rates to adjust between you know, very very small scales of the of the economy, there would be a point of diminishing returns in that particular issue. But uh, you would be able to have economic variables buffering uh, rather than unemployment buffering, which is the way that. Uh, that that's the overall alternative we face these days. If you, if if you if the buffering of uh, one area having too strong a currency and therefore having diminishing sales can't be worn by a, a, a currency depreciated because it doesn't have its own currency, then it wears it at a lower level of employment. The level of, of, of demand falls relative to labour, and we have unemployment. So that's at the moment the buffering has all been carried by the unworking class. Right. But it's not where we're seeing all of these uh, attempts at succession, uh, secession, I should say. When and obviously Brexit is a is the prime example. Uh, Brexit, you know, Britain is not part of the euro, so it's not the work of the ECB that's had the influence on the UK economy. It is but, to some extent because uh, the, the the fact that the uh, you know British pound uh, loses out to the German mark which doesn't exist, and therefore you have uh, in, in, uh, industry falling from 23% of GDP, roughly roughly the same scale as Germany, 21 23% uh, 15, 20 years ago, down to 11% now. That can be seen as a direct impact of having the formation of the European Union, whether or not Britain is part of, part of it. And, of course, what Britain wears, and this is where the, the racist back, backlash that supported UKIP came from, what they do wear is the free movement of labour. And because their economy hasn't tanked as much as those that have the euro, they copped a large uh, uh, influx of migrants from the EU states and peripheral states. So, you know, we, there's no getting away from in the, in this globalized world. There ain't no getting away for it unless you can manage to move to Mars. <laughs> so, I mean, is there any hope for Europe? Then, is there anything that Europe could do? Which is, uh, I mean, if we went back, um, ha- 
how far do we have to take Europe back while still getting the advantages of working together? Is it getting back to the stage where we have uh, our own currencies and we look at perhaps fixing exchange rates between those those countries? Is, I, I is that the point where it makes sense? Yeah, my feeling is the euro returning to what the ECU used to be, EQ, yeah. uh, where it's used to international trade between countries in Europe. There is some control over whether you can increase or decrease your relative exchange rate within Europe. And the, then, then people internationally trade with the euro uh, and then have to exchange the euro for their domestic currencies. That, that would be a workable system, I think. That would give the flexibility that Europe has lost by forming the European Union and the ECB without any uh, regional capability. Right. It's either that or you go the way of Australia and the United States and you say, right, well, uh, disband with your uh, <laughs> with your governments. Uh, we'll take all the tax money. Thank you very much. We're going to form our own uh, defense. Uh, we'll we'll manage education and everything else across the across the whole of Europe. Uh, you, you, you might be called Germany, but really um, you're just another part of Europe. And that's a that's a long way to go, isn't it? I think it's a total, you know, <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that's, that's where the fair is, unfortunately. Yeah, well, that's where Jean-Claude Juncker might be, though. Um, <laughs> mm, I do. <laughs> I, I won't call him to a fairy to his face, but I do have that feeling. <laughs> good luck with that one. All right, okay, very good, Steve. We'll catch you again soon. Okay, okay, mate, bye. So it's all the way or not at all, perhaps. Well, certainly as far as the euro is concerned. Now, look, next time, dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models. Uh, yes. What the hell are they and uh, what's wrong with them? Uh, that's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you back here for that one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.